God is always on the move, is he not? I know that blinds you for a moment. You'll get over it. It's too beautiful outside not to let some of that inside. Well, I want to just hit three simple things this morning quickly. When you think of how the enemy attacks to understand that he's always around us, specifically because God is always at work around us. And where God's at work, the enemy is at work fighting that. So I want, I want to look this morning at three simple ways, three things that you must do if you're to have victory over the enemy. And I don't know if we'll have any PowerPoint. I don't think we will today because we're having some uh, technical problems, but who cares? Once you get over the blinding sunlight, you'll, you'll be here. If you go back to Exodus chapter 15, Exodus is kind of a boring book if you just look at it and read through it. But it's actually very powerful and interesting. Exodus 15, the children of Israel are already complaining. They've come, they've come to Marah and they found that because they were so thirsty being out in the desert. And if you've ever been to Egypt, you'll understand it is nothing but desert. Mile after mile after mile of sand. There's no place like America. Even if you've been to Jerusalem, you understand that Jerusalem is nothing like America. It's not green and plush. It's desert. And so the children of Israel get out of, out of bondage after all of these years of serving under the Pharaoh, seeing their own children die under the hand of the Pharaoh. Now they're in the desert and they're complaining right away because there's no water. And they come to Mara and the water is bitter. And they go to Moses and they say, Moses, you're supposed to be our leader. What shall we drink? What are we going to drink? You took us out here. Did you take us out here just to die? And Moses has to endure the bickering. Oh, my gosh. Do we live in a bickering culture and day and age? You cannot possibly win nowadays. You have, there's never a service in a church that preaches the gospel where somebody's not upset about something. No way, there can't be because the devil is always at work around us. And so what happens? God steps in and God gives Moses this tree and he says, cast this tree into the water and the water will not be bitter anymore, it will be sweet. And so he does it and it happens. And you'd think that would be the end of the complaining. But it's not. And after this experience, they re reach Elam where 12 waters, wells of water, excuse me, 12 wells of water existed in Elam. And then Exodus chapter 15 closes. And you get to ch chapter 16, and it opens by showing this inexcusable, ungracious, unthankful conduct of the children of Israel, much like the people in America. Not satisfied again. Israel had now entered the wilderness of Sinai, and there was no food. They didn't know what to do. So first they had no water, and you understand this. Coke doesn't quench your thirst. There was probably a Coke machine out there, but it doesn't quench your thirst. Gatorade kind of comes close-ish, still doesn't quench your thirst. There's nothing like water. And God wants us to understand this all the way through the Bible, that there is nothing that satisfies you like water because he is the water of life. He wants us to see the parallels between who he is and what they were experiencing. And I could just say this emphatically. You will never be happy if you don't have the water of life. You will not understand how to fix your problems. You won't know how your marriage could be good. You won't have kids that rise up and call you blessed because you're not depending on Christ to do it. You think there's some other answer to the needs. And so Moses, in chapter 16 realizes that now they're bickering about food. Well, obviously you would be. If I go another two hours, you're going to be bickering. The likelihood of you bickering even if I go another 45 minutes is pretty high. And by the end of the service, most of you are going to be bickering for food, right? And you're thinking right now, let's see, what are we doing for lunch? Steak and shake, leftovers, roast beef in the oven. How many actually have dinner waiting at home prepared. Anyone in here, raise your hand. Real high. Dinner, okay. Dinner is prepared for you. your wife's home fixing it. Frank? It's in the oven, what is it? 
roast pork, roast raccoon, <laughs> roast roadkill. No, you know, years ago, everybody used to go home and have dinner in the oven. I cannot remember ever going out during the, during the week at all, except for maybe a rare, rare, rare special occasion we went to a restaurant. And now we go out every day. You look, when you're senior citizens like we are, you look for coupons. Coupons. There's coupons all over the place. We know where you can eat under $5. Yeah, we do. You turn into a huge blimp, but we know where you can eat under $5. McDonald's sucks. I'm sorry. I do like their fries, but they suck. I had two of those value menu cheeseburgers yesterday and felt sick afterwards. Seriously ill. Do you know how God works? This is the truth. Because I know you think this is probably mean saying this, but people are going to come in here and immediately come face to face with the Spirit of God and think that it's something else. And they won't be able to stay unless they get saved. I am so sick and tired of the disrespect that I see in younger generation now where they get to tell you off. They can't wait till the end of the service. They have to get up and show. They have to show you and everyone else where they stand. Really, you don't have enough respect to where you could open yourself up to some other differing opinion than yours. You might not be right all the time. You want to be in a radical church? This is it. You know what I mean by that? You won't be able to come here and continue to be lost. You will have to deal with your lost estate if you come here long enough. So, yeah, we're, we're in the same kind of predicament that Moses was in. First it was water and then it was food. You get to Exodus chapter 16 and verse 3 and it says, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Hmm. They wanted to be free because their children were greasing the stones that were making the pyramids. But once they got the freedom that they thought they wanted, they didn't like it. You know how many women pray for their husband to become a Christian so that their marriage will be better? And where a husband becomes a Christian, it's still not good enough. Because he doesn't do what she wants him to do. I have watched this through the years. Why are you praying for salvation for someone? Is it because you just want more control of them? They were not happy once they got the freedom that they prayed for. We as Christians prayed that we would get a president in the White House that would actually honor Israel and get back to the foundational principles of which our nation was founded on, and now everybody's bickering. Oh, my goodness. You've got to be kidding me. Go Trump. And if you don't like it, I say go somewhere else. You know, that's mean? No, that's sensible. God put him in the White House. So that he could clean house. He should have gotten rid of a lot of other people faster, I think. And if you look back, it was the same way with Reagan. I lived through those years. I lived through the Jimmy Carter lethargy. Nothing happening. Love wins. Love wins, yeah, if you also understand that you have to discipline. Sometimes... Love demands discipline. Sometimes de love demands that you stop living together and you get married. Mm. I'm going to stop there for a second because this is a day of meddling. I've yet to meet a couple who didn't regret living in a sexual relationship prior to marriage. I've been doing this 41 years. It is going to come back to bite you. Because whatever you do, your kids will do. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That will make people mad, but you can either let it make you mad or set you free. Yes, you can. You either let it make you mad or set you free. You know what I mean by setting you free? Decide you're not living that way anymore, first of all. And secondly, you are not passing that down to your children. 
Because one thing we never learned from history is we should have learned from history by looking at our parents and saying, that was a mistake they made. Now I've got to move on because I have a lot to say in a very short period of time. Exodus chapter 16. On the sixth day, they're, they're to prepare what they're to bring. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. In fact, God was so good to the people who not only gave them manna, he said on the sixth day you get ready for the seventh day because in a normal situation, they were not allowed to keep the manna from one day to the next because the very next day it was like the salad that you buy at the store. It's no good the next day. It's all brown. I think the manna probably tasted horrible. But he said, I'm going to make an exception because I know you're going to complain. I'm going to give you twice as much on the sixth day to make provision for the seventh day. Go, God. You think that God doesn't have your back? You give not a penny to God, and yet you bicker. And you don't see that as robbing God. That's, true. That's correct. There is not a single person in this room that should not at least tithe. You have financial problems because you're disobeying God, not because you're giving. Never, never. See, he doubles the provision when you honor him. That's a fact. He doubles the provision. Anybody in here ever experienced that? Say amen. He doubles the provision. Guess what else he does? When you start to honor God with your life, you get healed of cancer. Don't tell me that just happened. That was God. The Van Otterloos knew that they were going the wrong way. If you heard Erica's entire testimony, it would blow your mind. Blow your mind. She's not living in the past anymore. She learned from history. Break free from the past, and God will heal you. Yeah, you're saying, oh, woe is me. Look what happened to me in my childhood, and look at what my parents did and all this other stuff. Break free from the past. Someone once said, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. Doesn't he? Yeah. Nothing's on the screen today, is it? Or periodically a little bit of whoop, magic. Oh, there it is. Okay. You see, it's, it's pretty simple. You don't have because you're not asking. Now, stay with me. You got problems in your marriage? Ask. Problems with your kids? Ask. Got problems with your marriage or your kids? It's because of you. Stop blaming everyone else. No, it's Pastor Zach's fault. No, it's not. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's what they see in your house. You fix the mess by getting to God. Yes? I don't think people are going to want me to preach much longer. They're going to, like, get him out of there and get somebody nice. Get somebody nice. I saw the couple get up today, and it was that same thing. It was, it was like... I can't run, sorry, my knee is just huge. <laughs> my knee was so bad last night, I was up most of the night, it just, I was landscaping and it just swelled back up. Um, actually, the pain went away when I came here this morning. That's God. That's totally God and three ibuprofen. <laughs> still God. It's still God, isn't it? God uses doctors, God uses medicine, God uses Harvest Health for all you people who are against doctors and medicine or some that like some doctors and some medicine. And, I, and you got to be careful of everything you say because there's always somebody with a differing opinion. And then I'll get an email. You're trying to criticize doctors, were you? What do you think about chiropractic medicine? And, Pastor, you got a problem with organic food? I've had it all through the years. Oh, my gosh. There's, oh, God, help us. I know you do. You still do. Steve's been my remedy solver many times. Yes, I love you both. Batterson says in his books, and he continues to keep the same train of thought, he says, you can be certain that you won't get 100% of that which you don't pray for. You're not going to get it if you never ask. How many people in the room right now can immediately think of something that you have to pray for and you keep praying for? Immediately it pops to your mind. Raise your hand. Almost everyone in here, everybody should. 
You don't have because you don't ask. Prayer is the key to survival. Exodus 17, now you went from 15, water, 16, no food, 17, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur, one on each side, went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew weary, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on each side, till sunset. He remained steady. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites and their army with a sword. Everybody needs to pray, and everybody needs to lift their hands to God for the answers and expect God to answer. Three quick things this morning. You have to ask yourself these questions. Who, when, and how? If you don't remember anything else this morning, you're going to go home and you're going to say, he preached on who, when, and how. Just repeat after me. Who, when, and how? Who is the enemy? When will he attack? And how is he going to attack? Because so many Christians are constantly in a state of flux. You are mad over the simplest things. If you are constantly in a state of flux, you need to take a close, personal look at your life. Why are we always on the run? Why is there always some more drama in our family? Why do I get so caught up in everybody else's drama and it makes me want to run too? Why did that couple have to get up and run out the doors if the building were on fire? Because they are in a state of flux. They live in a state of mind that doesn't know what it wants. And so therefore it complains all the time. It's bitter. It's critical. It's analytical. It's caustic. It's deadly. It's like cancer. It touches everybody they come near. Everything that comes out of their mouth is a state of flux, and nah, I don't know if I quite agree with that. See, they have needs but are not willing to go to God and say, God, you need to change me. Because an unmet need is Satan's target. You listening? Because I know what's going to happen. You're going to come to me and say, Pastor, help us with our kid. we got real issues. Unmet needs in you and in your kids. Unmet needs. Needs. I'm not talking about more money. I'm not talking about more freedom. I'm talking about this. They needed discipline, but you didn't give it to them when they should have had it. Your marriage needed love, but you didn't have it. You were looking at someone else instead. You needed discipline in your own life, but you didn't receive it. When God came to you and said, I'm doing this to show you you need to change, you sat right in front of me in this place and think this is boring. I put up with it every week. Dirk doesn't like it because not everybody jumps up and down and stuff. He wants the chairs really close. He comes every Saturday and arranges all the chairs. He changed them all in here today to throw you off. You went to sit in your seat and it wasn't there. It was over there. It was down here. He says, I walked in and went, oh, this is different. He goes, you like it? And I'm like, oh, it's going to throw some people off big time. <laughs> big, big, big time. Mm-hmm. See, I've, I've always defined temptation this way. If you're bored, please stay with me. Say, uh, temptation is a satanic opportunity to satisfy a legitimate need outside the will of God. Satanic opportunity to satisfy a legitimate need outside the will of God. Nine times out of ten, we sin because we're trying to satisfy a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Ooh. Ding, ding, ding. Satisfy a legitimate need to be loved through having sex outside of marriage. And then you pay for it. Don't tell me you don't pay. Don't tell me you don't pay. And then you divorce your spouse and you run off with someone else. 
and you pay. And then you, oh, God, we're, having, we're in such a big issue right now because, and, and then I just want to say this to you in love, you did something you shouldn't have done, and you always pay. Correct? I'm not saying this to be mean because it's happened to many of us in this room. We did something we shouldn't have done, and now we're paying generations are paying because they did something that was outside of the will of God. It was a need they had. They weren't getting the love they needed, but they did it illegitimately according to God's work, and God's word is always true, whether you like it or not. I love what Batterson says. He says, pull the plug so you don't have to pull the trigger. See, Jesus loved to use hyperbole. When talking about temptation, he said, you know what to do, now do it. He loved to use examples to help us get into the situation and see how it is. Because if you listen to me at all and you're sitting right in front of me, you'll know that it's truth that I'm speaking. There's a cost for sin. <clears throat> if you run off with somebody that's not your spouse, your kids will. You smoke cigarettes, your kids will. You smoke cigarettes, your kids might smoke cigarettes, but they'll also smoke weed and smoke and, and do other drugs. I've watched it for 41 years. It's just a cycle of pattern that repeats itself. And we as a church have to endure it. It weakens the church body. We can't even speak on the things that we should speak on because it's so prevalent in our culture that if you do anything to fight against it, you literally come against the enemy in the most powerful way. You may not be the pastor there. You think you want that so bad. It's like the illustration of the guy who goes to the opera and he's listening to this incredible opera singer. But if you've ever been to New York City and watched the Phantom of the Opera, the, the seats that are only like $30 or $40 are so far up that they're just specks down there on the stage. And this guy saw this amazing opera singer, and he came back over and over, and he fell in love with her. Chuck Swindoll tells the story. He, he saw her through his binoculars, and he was absolutely positive that that was the woman that he was supposed to marry. And so he set up a time when he could meet her, and shortly after, they were married. And on the night of their honeymoon, their first night together, they went to the hotel, and his heart leapt with joy. Is le leaped? Is that the word? Leaped with joy. And then she popped her eyeball. Their glass eyes, she popped it out and put it in a jar. She pulled her false teeth out and put them in a jar with liquid. She grabbed her wig and threw it on the table next to the bed, unstrapped her leg and threw it on the floor, pulled off her glasses, which concealed her hearing aid. And by then he was frantic and said, Sing, woman, sing! You are so positive that that's what you need. It looks so, so, so amazingly good. This is what I need. If I just have her, I'll be happy. If I just get him, I'll be happy. If I just get this, if this just happens, if we could just find another church, I'd be happy. The people that left aren't happy, period. Listen, let me say this emphatically. When you run, your kids will run. And their kids will... Yes? There's some people who won't, don't even want to look at me because you're like, I'm not looking up there. You run, your kids will run. You disrespect your husband, your kids will disrespect their husband. You don't love God, your kids probably won't love God unless there's some kind of supernatural miracle that takes place and you realize that you did wrong. You actually apologize to kids for your wrong and get over it and move on you got to know who the enemy is. It's simple. They came to Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now, in order to understand that, you have to understand this, because you can handle this. Am I boring you yet? Okay. They came to Rephidim. This is very important. They came to Rephidim, and their first problem that they had with God was that they were thirsty. 
There's nothing, nothing worse than being thirsty. It's horrible. So they get to Rephidim, and water is a big issue because it's all desert. There was frequently this bone of contention between different people groups. And when they found out, when the Amalekites found out that there was water at Rephidim, they were furious at the children of Israel who had not fought any wars yet. They did not fight against Pharaoh's army when he came after them. Pharaoh's army drowned in the sea. They had not had a battle yet to this point, and now they see the Amalekites coming because the Amalekites are jealous that the children of Israel found water in the desert and they wanted it. You'd fight over water if you were dying of thirst. Their name actually signifies warlike. The Amalekites were warlike. Oh, I've got to stop there a second. There are people in here who love to be in conflict. There's always a conflict. There's always a drama surrounding them. Always at war with everyone. They say something and, and they just say something completely different. You say something to them and they say, well, I'm not really sure about that. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on, Jesus, make the people speak. You just meet these people, and there's nothing but conflict that surrounds their entire life. Come on, you know it's true. There's always a new drama. And so the Amalekites, their name actually means that they're warlike. Genesis 36, 12 says this, Who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, and when he would have inherited the blessing, was rejected. The problem with the Amalekites was they were the grandchildren of Esau. Hmm. So they were named the Amalekites because they were at war all the time with everybody. Always at war. Warlike people. Because remember what happened to Esau? Yeah, let me think a second. Esau, yeah. Jacob stole his what? Birthright. The birthright, the first. I should be first. I'm the first child. They, they treat my brother like he's better than me and he's just the middle child. I re and, but you remember something. Please stay with me. You remember something very specifically about Esau. What did he do that he should not have done? Raise your hand. Jeremy, I'll just pick on you. You know the answer to everything. He was so hungry. Mm, come on now. He was so hungry that he actually sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge. He sold his blessing for something he needed right then and there. Food. You overeat, your kids will overeat. You have weight issues in your home, your kids will have weight issues. Every bit of what we see in the scripture signifies you will produce what you are, but you can change. Listen to me. You can change. Who's sitting in the room that, that has children that you want to change for the sake of your children? Raise your hand. I want to change. Okay. My, my, my eyes see these eyes here. They're made to see the whole room. I see these haphazard like hands go up like, I'll admit it, I need to change. And then there's others who sit there and say, I ain't going to raise my hand. I ain't going to raise my hand because he's going to make me stick with that. I ain't going to raise my hand. I don't, you know what? I sinned and it's over. I sinned and I can't get over it. I'm sinned and I'm upset about it. My parents were jerks. My father did this to me. My mother did this. My you realize what you are passing to your children. Your unwillingness to acknowledge that you have issues is an issue. Week after week, you sit there and say, nothing I can do about it. You know, I'm trying my best. No, you can do this. Now look, just take the McKinsey's. Never sit in the front. I, I kind of think I know what's going on with the McKinsey's today because Jake was up here. Was that emotional for you, Candy? Did you shed a tear at all? No? You had your camera out? I'm standing right there and I'm thinking, they're thinking, our son 
is graduating from high school. He's our baby. Is he? Now, he doesn't want you saying that. <laughs> baby Jake. Oh, Jake, you're such a little baby. No. I guarantee you this is what's going through their mind. We have two sons. We're so blessed. Oh, it's crazy. We love our son. He's up there playing the drums today. He actually turned out. Bravo, McKenzie's. Bravo. Their son plays drums in the youth group. Their son, both of their boys are good boys. See, that didn't just happen. Listen to me. They didn't sell their birthright for a pot of stew. The decisions you're making today are the decisions that are going to affect tomorrow and the next day and 10 years and 20 years. If you have divorce in your home, you tell your children, we will never divorce again. Right? Yes? Divorce, that's what I always say to every married couple. Divorce is not an option. Stop bickering about your spouse. Now I'm going to look at this video and I'm going to go, why did you do that? Why did you scream like that? It's a fact. Change. Don't bicker about your spouse. Change. The scripture says, and when he looked for Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations that warred against Israel, but his latter end shall be that he perisheth forever. The character of Amalek comes out plainly in the words of Moses concerning him on a later date. He said, he feared not God. That's the flesh. Simple definition of the flesh. I give it to you right now. Remember this when you leave. I don't fear God. That's the definition of the flesh. I don't fear God. I can get by with this. Nobody will know. I can have a bad attitude. I can, I can commit adultery. I can steal this money. I can cheat on my taxes. I can lie to my friends. I can be bitter toward other people. I can do whatever I want to do, and, and there's no, no ramifications for it, but there are. There are for sure. You see, I wrote this. In my notes, it takes a lot longer to get out of temptation than it took you to get into it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You see, it's like the, the herd of geese that was flying north for the winter, and they went over this incredible farm. They looked down, and they saw all these geese in the, in the barnyard, and they were all being fed. They did not even have to search for food. And so one of the geese said, I'm just going to, you guys, you can keep on going. I'll catch up with you. I'm just going to stop and and check it out. So he went down there and he checked it out and he found the food was amazing. They were feeding him corn and oh wow, I think I'll stay a day. Turned into a week. Turned into a month. Turned into the entire summer and one day all of a sudden out of, out of the clear blue he heard the geese honking and they were headed south again and he thought oh my gosh, what happened to me? I just got caught up in this. I didn't go to church all summer and I, I feel different but I, you know, you're kind of fat and sassy. And he thought, no, I'm going I'm to catch up. I'm going to catch up with the other geese that are headed south right now. And so he, he flapped his wings and he got up about the top of the barn in the air and he couldn't make it. He couldn't fly anymore. So he thought, well, I guess I have no choice. I'm going to be spending the winter here. He spent the winter there and all of a sudden it was like time just flew by so quickly and the geese were headed north again, and he thought, maybe I should join him. I'm going to try to join him. He couldn't even get as high as the top of the barn. Year after year, he heard the geese going north and going south, and he always wanted to get back in the groove of it, but he never did. He died in the barnyard. See, God brings you to church. It doesn't matter who else is not here today. You are here. Because God says, I'm going to give you an opportunity once again to change. To change, yeah. 
The scripture guarantees you this, this, that there is no temptation that you have that is not common to every man. So I'll make this real quick. Your second thing is you need to know when, not just who the enemy is. The enemy comes in a lot of different forms. The enemy will come in this. Technology not working today. No, the enemy actually started yesterday, said, your knee is going to go out of control. You're not even going to be able to walk. I couldn't even walk. Last night when I got into bed, I was up most of the night in such pain, and I started praying, I am not giving up. I am preaching tomorrow because somebody in the room needs to hear this. It is time to change today. Today is the day to change, not tomorrow. Today, are you listening? I have brought you here divinely by an appointment with God to change today. So you can change generations to come. And so I decided, anyway, right before I left the house, I'm going to take three ibuprofen. By the time I got to praise band, because I always preach to the praise band first, I was starting to feel better and better. And then Ina said, the computer's not even coming on. It's not working. And I thought, I'm not giving up. I have something you want me to tell people. I'm saying this to Christians this morning. You need to apologize to friends who you have offended. You need to knock it off. You go to the person right during this service and you say, I'm very, very sorry. We're going to get along. Because I know what you're passing to your kids. You are passing rebellion to your children. You busybody women that think you have to talk against other people. You are passing that to your children. You listening? I'm not soft selling this here at all. There's some stuff going on that should not go on. And you can simply make it right this morning. And stop that from becoming a generational sin that you pass down. Know when your enemy is going to attack. They came to Amalek and fought with Israel. That's what the scripture says. The Holy Spirit has called our attention to a time when this occurred. Moses smote the rock. The waters were given. And for the first time, Israel was called upon to do some fighting. This is what happens. If you get saved, the enemy is going to come after you. Guaranteed. Secondly, if you are saved and God is doing anything in your life, the enemy is going to come and attack you. Yes, he's going to stop the process. He's going to say, you're not going to grow. I'm going to make you get offended and leave Rock Church. You're not going to grow. I'm not even going to let you stay through the song service. You should get up and leave now because I heard this guy's a fanatic. You should leave. You should know that you sit right in front of me. I'm going to preach right to you. Because if I love you, I will. You know what? If you love God, you'll say, bring it on, Pastor. We refuse to get bitter and angry with you because we know that you love us enough to tell us the truth. You know what I want? What I want is your kids to rise up and call him blessed. I want your kids. I was praying for Brandon during the service. He's a very quiet kid. I said, God, I'm not making this up. I looked over and I said, God, supernaturally bless him. My kid is in the backseat of my car on the way here, and we're praying the whole way, and I'm looking back in the rearview mirror and thinking, God, you make Josiah into a man of God. It's the only way he'll ever be happy. Yes. Yes. Is that not true? Say yes. Because when you say yes, the enemy hears it says, well, I'm going to try to attack them anyway. And it says in the scripture in in 2 Peter 1.4, through these he has given us the very great and precious promises so that Through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We've been made partakers of a divine nature. And if you think that's where the enemy is going to stop, you're wrong. That's where he's going to start. He's going to attack that all the time. As soon as we receive the new nature, the conflict begins. The Bible says in Galatians 5, the first enemy that you're going to face is the flesh that lusts against the spirit, not vice versa. i got one more point to make, but I want to say this about the flesh. Anytime you're on the run, I guarantee it's because the flesh is controlling you. You're running away from the church? Flesh. Running away from your spouse? Flesh. Running away from an issue that you should deal with with someone in the church? Flesh. You need to put the flesh down right now, right this second in the room, and say, I am going to put that flesh down. I'm going to go apologize to some people. Then the Spirit of God is going to take over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's going to happen. And I'll guarantee you all the church chairs are going to fill up because there's harmony in the house of God, not discord. That, that discord that you get in the house of God bring, comes right back to your house and ruins your children. And by the way, don't you dare blame anyone else for your children turning out the way they turned out. It's you. 
I am so sick of people acting like somehow somebody else did this to make them turn into this. No, you did. Oh, come on. Once you, oh my goodness, God, rain, fire is going to come down from heaven. You want to blame everybody else and then run away. All you're doing is proving that you were wrong. I'm not stupid. I have 41 years of watching it. The sooner you confess your sin and go to the other people that you have gossiped about, by the way, then things will be right. And you'll still curse me out eventually because you're holding grudges. It's because of the nature of the way you are. You don't want to hear the truth. Talk about somebody else's sin, not mine. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Talk about somebody else's sin, Pastor, not mine. Hopefully today I've hit everybody. That was my goal. One last thing. How do you deal with them? This is how you deal with the enemy today. This is what you do. Moses said to Joshua, choose some men, go out and fight the Amalekites. You guys that are spiritual enough to believe God's on your side, you get out there and fight the Amalekites who are jealous that we have water and manna from heaven. And then so Joshua fought the Amalekites, and, and Moses said, tomorrow I'm going to go up there on the mountain, and the whole time you're fighting, I'm going to pray like a madman. I'm going to be praying. And so that's what he did. He got up there on top of the mountain, and as long as he was praying and he had his hands uplifted to God, God's spirit was flowing down through him to the battlefield. Things change when you pray. They sure do. The key to victory was his uplifted hands. i got to put my mic down a sec. late. No, it's not. Don't let the enemy tell you it's ever too late. That is a big fat lie. Psalm 28 says, hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help and as I lift my hands toward your most holy place. Whew, there is something powerful about lifting your hands. Not because there's some singers up in the front of the church, but because you don't know where to go but to God. He's touching your fingertips, flowing down through your arms, believing that your children that need to be saved will come to Christ. How many people in here have children you want that need to be saved? Raise your hand. Get up a second. Just stand to your feet. Lift your arms up to God. God, we pray right now in the name and the authority of Jesus that you'll flow it down through our fingers to our families, from our fingers down to our family. We believe in the name of Jesus that as long as we hold our arms up toward you. Things will change, God, won't they? You don't give up, please. Don't give up. You can have a seat. Don't give up for your kids. Sometimes you don't even know what to do in your marriage and your family, and you just have to say, God, it's not about going to counseling. It's about you supernaturally taking over. Second Timothy says, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. I got to stop. I just want to share one last illustration that I think is powerful. On June 18, 1815, in a small obscure village near Brussels, Belgium, two powerful men clashed as their countries went to war against each other. One was on the side of the great emperor of France, Napoleon Bonaparte, 
who had 74,000 troops. He actually was exiled to an island. He escaped there, went back to France and said, I want to fight a war. We are going to come against the Duke of Wellington, the British commander who had assumed about 67,000 men. So you had 74,000 versus 67,000 men. And what was going to happen just three months before that, Napoleon has, was actually in exile, political exile on the coast, off the coast of Italy on an island. He was in a struggle for power, for France. He needed everyone he could get to fight this battle. Napoleon's defeat was certainly um, shocking because he had so many more men than the Duke of Wellington had. It was his Waterloo. It was an appointment that was set up divinely. Back home in England, the British people remained suspenseful as to who was going to win the war. They didn't have the communication methods that we have now. You could Facebook something or tweet it right now and somebody on the other side of the world will be commenting on it. They had no way to do this, actually. As they came to battle with each other, the Duke of Wellington and his army, which had much fewer soldiers, won the war. But getting the communication back to the people back home who were wondering what had happened, this is how it worked. They set up an, a, a, a group of people that were close enough that they could actually hear and they would shout the message back from this person to this person to this person to this person all the way back home. The message was sent back, but a fog set in so that they couldn't see correctly. They had a sign language that they used to spell out the words to tell whether it was defeat or victory. And on the, one of the messengers was on the top of the tower of Winchester Cathedral in London. It was late in the day, and the first word relayed was Wellington. That message came back, and everybody was anticipating, hearing what was the answer to who won this war. The second word that came across was defeated. And a heavy fog set in so they couldn't see anything else. An immediate gloom came over the people because they had the message back to them, Wellington defeated. But at a precise moment, the fog lifted. And the actual complete message was this. Wellington defeated the enemy. Wellington defeated the enemy is a lot different than Wellington defeated. Listen to me. A fog has set in to so many people's lives that they think it's over in their marriage, that their kid's destiny is already established, that there's no way that generations to come could be different. And God says, that's baloney. The enemy's been defeated, and death can't hold you down. The enemy has been defeated. You got to claim it. Say it with me. The enemy's been defeated. He's been defeated. Get the message to your children. Tell it to your children. The enemy has been defeated. You're going to do great things for God. Right? Right? Believe it. I pray in the name of Jesus right now, whose name is above every name, that we would lift our hands to you and receive what you want to send. You want to send it right now. You want to send it down to those who want to receive it right now. You have been, keep your eyes closed a moment. You have been praying like crazy. You've been praying like crazy. Because you have a need. You have a need. Yes, you do. And you want God to do something supernatural. He's telling you, you got to do the natural. I'll do the supernatural. And you're believing that God is going to change this situation so much so that you'll stand to your feet right now.
I got something that needs to be changed, and I'm going to get up, and I'm not giving in. I'm going to see this change. I'm going to walk through this with you, God. My hands are going to be lifted to you. I'm going to put my hands up, and I'm going to believe supernaturally. Woo, God, come on. You know, even now, people have their hands lifted up. You are not giving up. You are not giving in. You, if you're seated and you've been praying about something that's really got you torn apart, you should be up. You ought to be up saying, God, I believe you're going to supernaturally intervene on behalf of this situation. I pray for those with their hands up, God. I pray for those that are standing that they will see supernatural intervention when they do the natural, and that is loving you. Have a seat. Open your eyes a moment. So the Shermans have been bringing a lady who's going through some issues, and her son got saved just recently, and then he was in a very, very terrible car accident right afterwards. And the mom is here today by appointment. She actually made an appointment with my wife to talk because she needed God for something in her life. This is the day that this lady will find Jesus. Susan and her just walked out with Becky. This is her divine appointment. You, you believe in that? I, I believe that. I believe in the supernatural power of God to completely change your destiny. You need to claim your kids. You don't let Satan have them. No way. We want Ronnie for God. Yeah. He's a good kid. You don't give up, do you? I don't care what time it is. You don't give up. You believe that God has something more planned today, doesn't he? You walk out today, you believe that God has something planned. And know the enemy. Know who he is, know when he's going to attack, and know how it's going to happen. Be ready. And love God like crazy this week, okay? You have tomorrow off. I think we're going to skip men's Bible study this week unless you really want to have it Tuesday night. But I think we'll skip it and take a break. I pray blessing on everybody and have the most awesome time tomorrow as we celebrate our great nation. Be blessed. See you. Sorry it went so long. At Rock Urban, we hope that through our podcast, you will experience the grace and love of Jesus. If you want to further connect with us, please check out our website at therockmi.org.